RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. It's been five years since the College's initiative of building respect and improving patient safety. A 2015 investigation led by an expert advisory group, or EAG, uncovered issues around discrimination, bullying and sexual harassment. Since the findings, the College has been implementing a long-term program of work to support professionalism in surgery. Recently, the College has conducted two surveys, the Evaluation Survey and a Prevalence Survey to ascertain current behaviours and attitudes relating to discrimination, bullying and harassment. Ruth Friedman is the external evaluator of the RAC's Building Respect Action Plan, who has been evaluating its work to build a culture of respect in surgery. She explains to Chris Ashmore the two new pieces of research she's been conducting. I've just done the first outcomes evaluation of the Building Respect Action Plan and also the second prevalence survey looking at the levels of discrimination, bullying, sexual harassment and harassment across the surgical profession. And in both of those, I'm looking at what's changed as a result of the Building Respect Action Plan. Can you tell us a bit about what you were evaluating? Yes. The evaluation itself focused on awareness and attitudes relating to respectful behaviours and particularly not looking at behaviour change yet, not measuring that as a measure of success. What would you say were some of the uh, successes from your evaluation findings? Well, the most outstanding success was that there's exceptional support for RAX's commitment to this program. And really amazingly, we did a what's called a process evaluation, just looking at how the action plan had been rolled out. We did that two years ago. And support has actually increased for the work since then. So now it stands at 95% of fellows, trainees and SIMGs support this action plan. There's also support for all the other efforts like in forming partnerships with other organisations, pressing on with efforts in surgical education. These are all very widely supported. And when you look at knowledge about respectful behaviours, that is now widespread a very big difference from how it was in 2015 when all these issues emerged. People are talking about it in the workplace. That's a common thing. Attitudes are changing. We did dip a toe in the water of looking at behaviours and behaviours are also changing. They're beginning to change. Workplaces, interestingly, they're aligning more with action plan principles. So they're introducing training and cultural change programs of their own. And Rax is seen as a leader in the space of respectful behaviour, in particular by external organisations, so it's well respected and there's a strong energy there for external partnerships to be formed. Well, as you mentioned, that's incredible support that you're getting there, but uh, are there still barriers that you're up against? Yes, definitely. There's a whole range of things that are barriers to success and things that need to be looked at in the future. So we can start by saying there's still a small number of surgeons that behave unprofessionally. And the issue there, you might say, oh, well, they'll age out eventually. A lot of people say that. But they could be influencers. Often they're senior and they're powerful and they could become influencers in the local culture in that area. And that's a problem that needs to be looked at. 
There's a very strong feedback that some RACS leaders themselves are not modelling respectful behaviours, and that serves to undermine some of the credibility of the college in this area. So that needs to be addressed. A lot of surgeons are unaware of the impact of their behaviour, and I think that speaks to those first two points that I made. They, they don't know they're doing it. They don't know that the joke they just said is actually affecting someone and causes someone tremendous distress. There's still a gap between knowledge and behaviour. An example of that, when I asked, do you know how to address unacceptable behaviours when you see them or when you experience them, about 80% of people said, yes, I know how to do that. But when I asked, do your colleagues actually address that behaviour when they see it, half the number said that that's happening. So what that shows to us is that a lot of people really understand what they should be doing, but half of the people are actually able to just then put that into action. There's still a lack of confidence of taking that step and having that behaviour. Other things that we've found is that there's a lot of support for the operating with respect messaging, but a significant minority of people are feeling overwhelmed by that messaging. There's just They're bombarded with messages about respectful behaviours in everything they look at. That's how they're feeling. And there's that message fatigue. So there's a need to refresh the messages. Now, this could be because, of course, workplaces have come on board and you're seeing these messages everywhere. You're seeing them in other contexts as well. And so you don't even know where those messages are coming from anymore, but you're seeing a lot more of it. Other issues that are barriers to success are that behaviours, obviously they're taking place mostly in workplaces and the college has no authority in those workplaces. So that's quite challenging for them. And one of the big things is that the surgical training environment seems to be a contributor to a culture where there is more experience of inappropriate behaviours. And when I looked at other reports, there's two other reviews that were done of the college in recent times that found the same thing. So that the governance and the relationship between the college and the specialty societies is unique to surgery. The other medical colleges don't deliver training that way. So that makes delivery of surgical training very complicated. And that shared responsibility makes it even more important that the college and the societies work together closely to address those issues. And what can you say about the complaints process? Well, there's been a lot of improvements to the process. There's still some issues to address, but RACS has really changed its complaints process. And that work was done in the lead up. We ran this evaluation survey in March 2021 and it was about the same time that RACS started to communicate about its new complaints process. So people won't have been aware of that when we did the survey. So there's still a lot of concerns about the career impacts of raising a concern. And that is more obvious in trainees and women. And it just shows that there's this power imbalance there among people who don't have as much power over their careers. The big opportunity here is to communicate these changes more actively so that people actually understand the process and what's possible in terms of resolution. A lot of people are looking to have the perpetrator sacked, removed from their position, a lot of very punitive kind of measures, whereas in fact the college takes a more collegiate response. First of all, they don't have the power to remove people from their jobs because they're not the employer, but they're trying to actually make people more aware of the behaviours and give them the opportunity to improve 
and keep them in place and learn. And so there's a real opportunity there to communicate what the college can and can't do here. Very interestingly, trainees reported that they felt safer with the RACS process than with their employer, even though RACS doesn't have the authority to conduct investigations or resolve complaints. Its role is to support people through that process. You also did a prevalence survey, and just so we know we're comparing apples with apples, is this a direct comparison with the original 2015 EAG research? Well, not quite, because this time we asked about experiences in the last 12 months. Now, in 2015, they asked, have you ever experienced any of these things? So that meant in your entire career over your whole life, And we couldn't ask that question again because we would have got the same results again. So we needed to create something that we can use as a measure. So we've created this period of time of a 12-month snapshot. And what we're hoping that that will serve as a baseline for future surveys, we'll be able to run these things annually and compare going forward. There's a significant increase in the percentage of people who actually took action in response to discrimination, bullying or harassment. So 70% took action this time compared to 50% last time. Now, we need to take that result cautiously because, again, the last survey could have been 20 years ago, the incident that was mentioned. And, of course, 20 years ago you didn't take action against those things. So very hard to compare. Now, with sexual harassment, there wasn't a statistical difference in the number of people who took action. The types of actions that people took, the highest one was discussing the incidents with their family, friends or their personal network, and that was 83% of people said that. This could be a COVID-related finding because people might have been more likely to be at home, especially in Victoria and New South Wales. I mean, we've all experienced lockdowns at different times, but we don't know, and that's another reason for wanting to run this survey annually and just see what that means. Other things that people did in taking actions, they spoke to senior colleagues or mentors and 41% of people actually addressed the incident directly with the person. So some of the things we asked was what influenced the action that you took? And the top influences were a fear of making the situation worse, damage to my reputation and effect on my career. There's still things that people worry about. So that's going on a lot. Well, if we look at the prevalence of discrimination, bullying and sexual harassment in surgery, what's changed? Well, interestingly, when you look at the prevalence overall with people who've experienced all of these behaviours, they're pretty similar from the first survey to this recent one. But we saw a statistically significant increase in reports of people experiencing sexual harassment. Now, that went up from 7% in 2015 to 21%, threefold increase. But when we dug in a little bit, interestingly, the majority of that increase was in men reporting sexual harassment. So that went up from 2% of the reports in 2015 to 16%. Females went up from 30 to 36%. Now, we, we're not sure, again, what this is, but we think that what it might reflect is that there's a lot more talk globally nationally about sexual harassment. There's a lot of debate and there's a lot of talk about what constitutes sexual harassment. So there's, you know, the At Me Too, there's the Australian Parliament issues, there's 
things in New Zealand that have come out in the legal profession there, that makes people more aware and we think that that might explain what's going on for these men. In terms of bullying, discrimination and other forms of harassment, there was actually a statistically significant decrease. So that went down from 47% to 43%. Well, there's quite a comprehensive research that you've done, Ruth, and a lot of food for thought, of course. But uh, for now, what are the big lessons for RACS as it plans the next phase? Well, if we go back to our behaviour change model and think about what are the elements that you need to work on to reach behaviour change, we see four areas that the college has opportunities to work with. So firstly, work to improve the group norms, the culture in the workplaces and in the college. And the specific things in there would be to leverage that opportunity to work in partnership with employers and healthcare organisations to address systemic issues in the workplace and also to align the messaging so people aren't bombarded as much, so the messages are similar and that it can all be aligned. There's real opportunity to work closely with the specialty societies to look at the systemic issues in surgical training and try and reduce the issues there. And then there's work to make the surgical workforce more closely represent the diversity of a community. And all of that contributes to an improved and stronger group norm. The second area to look at would be awareness and attitudes. So again, continue that strong message about operating with respect. That's been a success and a strength of the program. But clarify what people can expect from the complaints process and how it's going to work for them. Clarify also how diversity and inclusion work in practice. And that would reduce people's fears that if we open up surgical training to a broader range of people, if we're targeting people, we might be lowering the standards. That is not what's happening at all and that needs to be more clearly explained. Thirdly, there's that gap between knowledge and behaviour and that needs to be addressed appropriately now for this stage of the implementation. So what people are looking for is practical examples and modelling. What does leadership in surgery look like? What do leaders say? How do they address their teams What do leaders, good leaders, do when someone raises a complaint? You know, what do leaders do about the systems in the hospitals? That's the kind of practical examples that are needed and modelling of that behaviour within the leaders that are selling this program, that are advocating for this program. And then there's a whole series of things that we can do on changing that knowledge behaviour gap on calling it out. So what does calling it out look like? What can you expect to happen when you call it out? so that just to empower people to take control of their behaviour. And then lastly, transparent governance, which is always important in any program and especially a major one like this. So it's really important to include measurable goals and targets in the new action plan so that you can actually monitor progress and very carefully and pivot if you need to according to what's happening. We think that this prevalence survey should be simplified a bit but run annually and that would give the college a cultural snapshot every year because now we are moving into the behaviour change phase of the plan and it's important to just keep an eye on what's going on. I mean, COVID's had an impact on everybody and we don't know what we're going to see next year in that survey. And then lastly, to build in governance responsibility for RACS leaders and that is to actually really make sure that they're 
professional development and that their performance management includes being judged on their professional behaviours and that they're responsible for the professional behaviours of people on their committees or in their sphere of influence. So I think just to conclude, what we found is this action plan's very strongly supported and that's wonderful that the college needs to keep going. One of the big strengths of this action plan has been the strong commitment of the council and the college leadership to deliver this, and that's really widely respected. And the college needs to keep that going because everyone else is kind of waking up to the need to do this work. So that's a very big success. I think that overall this action plan is really meeting the targets and it is slow. Change is slow and it can feel very difficult for people who are experiencing unprofessional behaviours now but change is coming and that is working. And I guess the message for people listening to this podcast might be reflect on your own behaviours because that's what we're seeing is that people are not as aware of the impact of their own behaviours on others and that there might be an opportunity there to actually reflect on your own behaviours and see if there's an area that you think you could improve in yourself. Ruth Friedman, External Evaluator of the RAC's Building Respect Action Plan. The College would like to acknowledge all those fellows, trainees and specialist international medical graduates who assisted with the evaluation, whether it was by completing one or both surveys or making themselves available for interview. The findings from the evaluation are being used to inform the deliberations of a newly convened expert advisory group, which is charged with developing new plans to address the culture of respect in surgery. This second Building Respect Improving Patient Safety Action Plan will be released in 2022. The full report of the evaluation is now available on the RAC's website. RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.